Welcome to another episode of Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for coming back. Uh, just a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash feelyourfandom. You'll find the list of all the locations and availability there. Uh, Spotify, Anchor FM, uh, all those different locations where you can find our podcast and listen to us. If you go to our Anchor FM page, you can also leave a show a message if you want to talk to us or say anything about a previous episode you liked. Or you can even uh, become a sponsor of the show and chip in a few bucks if you'd like. It goes towards uh, the cost of batteries and microphones and things like that, which we greatly appreciate. But uh, on to today's episode, I want to introduce my uh, two guests here. My first guest is Lee. Hi. And my other guest is Carrie. Hey. Uh, Carrie runs a podcast called Paranormal Pints, also on uh, uh, Anchor FM. Where you, else you at? You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Paranormal Pints. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Wonderful. Yep. Um, and so today we're going to talk about Star Trek. And so I brought these guys on board because they're two of my nerdier, trekkier friends. And uh, I kind of like having conversations with them about... Uh, Star Trek in general. So uh, the topic of today is kind of you know, focused around uh, the crew. Each ship has its own distinct crew, um, characters on the show who make or break a show, uh, actors you may or may not like, things like that. But everyone's got their favorite. And usually we only hear about the captaincy, the, the Kirk or Picard or, you know, so-and-so is better than so-and-so is better than so-and-so. Well, this is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we've broken down each of the main Star Trek franchises by uh, senior officer position. And we're going to kind of discuss the merits of each position as they are. And kind of decide who's uh, the best in each category per guest here. So everyone gets their say, but we kind of get to discuss the whys of it. So... Uh, what we're going to do is, of course, the main uh, shows in continuity would be uh, the original series, uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, uh, Enterprise, and then we're going to kind of briefly discuss uh, Discovery, but I know uh, Lee and Carrie have both kind of been slacking on getting on Discovery, so we won't get too big into it, but I feel it's worth a mention, so... Sure. Everyone clear on the rules? We are clear. Okay. First and foremost, we're going to talk... Now, I, I started with the captain, but we're going to start at the lower end of things. We, we'll work our way up to captain. Now, are we, are we discussing the ship? We will discuss the ships uh, towards the end. There are definite uh, benefits and disadvantages to each different type of ship. There's only one ship. I know. I mean, you agree on which ship that is, so but we'll get to that. Let's first talk about uh, uh, Chief Engineer. Now, as far as Chief Engineers go, everyone knows Scotty. Mm. The original series had uh, Jimmy Doohan as Scotty. And, of course, we had him redone with... Uh, uh, what's his nuts? Uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, yeah. So, we had him redo it, which was weird hearing him do a Scottish accent, but whatever. It wasn't horrible. J.J. Abrams did a pretty fair to middling job casting his movies. So, But uh, we start off with the original series. We have Montgomery Scott. When we move into uh, Next Generation, 
He didn't start off as the chief engineer, but he's the chief engineer that everyone remembers, which would be Geordi LaForge. Moving up to Deep Space Nine, we of course have uh, Petty Officer, Chief Petty Officer Miles O'Brien, uh, who for whatever reason didn't go for officer rank, but whatever. He's the only non-commissioned officer really present uh, if you discount the Makos from uh, Star Trek Enterprise. So, that's weird. But, well, he uh, had a family. Well, they all had families. But I'm, but with an officer stationing... A little more difficult to a little raise more a difficult family. to have a family. Yeah. Especially a young family like his. I'd be willing to look into why they went with a non-commissioned officer position for him, so... But uh, maybe just to keep the chief title, because they seem to like that on Next Gen. And then we move into Voyager with, of course, Bellana Taurus, the Maquis. Uh, moving into Enterprise, uh, we had uh, Charles Trip Tucker. Good old Trip. Good old Trip. And then moving on to Discovery, we have uh, Lieutenant Paul Stamets, uh, which we will kind of, like I said, discuss a little bit of the pros and cons of. But uh, we'll start with you, Lee. If you had to pick between uh, the crew members listed, who would you go with and why? Uh, i got to go with Scotty. Oh, yeah? Um, I just think he's the, the best engineer because I don't think any of the other ones could put themselves into a pattern buffer for a bazillion <laughs> decades. <laughs> That's a deep cut. I really I read that first in a book before I went and saw the episode. And then went back and saw the episode. It's like, oh, I really like how they did that. What about you, Carrie? It's, it's a toss-up between... Jordy and O'Brien for me. O'Brien was kind of, and, and he's one of my choices too, but just for different reasons. Um, by and large, I'm, I'm an admitted uh, Deep Space Nine fan. I like Deep Space Nine as a whole. That's kind of my go-to. Um, because I thought it most embodied Wagon Train to the Stars, which was kind of uh, Gene Roddenberry's... Outpost. Yeah. It was kind of Gene Roddenberry's initial image of what Star Trek should be. But... As far as chief engineer goes, uh, Miles O'Brien, of course, had to. He, he did the most with the least. The least. And Does that make sense? Yeah. His his flexibility is kind of what drove me to decide or choose him. Right. I mean, he had uh, to work with old Cardassian technology and make it work with a standard Federation pattern, and and that's not easy. No. But he oh, completely retrofitted that. And, oh yeah, over time, everything. Yeah. But. I mean, then he had help with Nog and, and Rom and everyone in the later seasons. But uh, as far as, I mean, Trip Tucker, of course, was flying by the seat of his pants, doing it all kind of on the fly. Um, if we're talking Bellana Taurus, having two different mindsets kind of at odds and making it work through sheer stubborn force of will alone. Um, of course, Montgomery Scott being the originator of the entire position. What I liked about Montgomery Scott was in that same episode you're talking about, Lee, when he, he comes forward and, and is now on the Enterprise-D, mm-hmm. he talks to uh, Jordy LaForge, and he talks to Jordy LaForge. He, Jordy says, uh, the captain says, how long is it going to take to repair such and such? And Jordy's like, uh, it's going to take me four hours. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so. Mm-hmm. But then... When the communications are closed, Scott asks him, he's like, okay, so how long is it really going to take you? He's like, four hours. I told the captain, four hours, it's going to take me four hours. And he's like, oh, God, no, lad, you got you to gotta pad that out a little bit or else how are you going to maintain your image as a miracle worker? 
And I thought that really gave a really wonderful insight into just Scotty's character as a whole. He's like your drunk grandpa. Like, just, oh, he'll tell you what you need to know in an old-timey way and just kind of get you there eventually. And Jordy always did wind up coming out with so much extra time, though. Well, yeah, Jordy was just a fascinating engineer. Uh, well, and, and I hate to sound weird, but he saw things in a way nobody else could. <laughs> he had that visor that helped him. I mean, but, okay, so for me, I would probably have to go O'Brien just because he did the most with the least. He didn't have fancy, for the most part. He, he had some Starfleet technology, but most of his technology was retrofitted Bajoran and Cardassian technology, so he gets my nod. Lee, what about you? Scott? Yeah. Carrie? Still O'Brien. Okay. Two votes for Miles O'Brien. All right, next we're going to move into Chief Medical Officer. And we can, if you guys want to talk about any of the characters, you guys can jump on in and, and just say what you want about any of the characters. That's why I made the list. Chief Medical Officer. Now, this is a very interesting category. In this category, we've got human, we've got hologram, we've got alien, we've got Pulaski, whatever she counts as. But but uh, the original series, we had, of course, Bones McCoy, Leonard McCoy, um, played by DeForest Kelly, and then again by uh, Carl Urban, who I thought did a fantastic job of modernizing the character. DeForest would have been proud. Uh, we have Beverly Crusher on Next Generation. Good old Beverly. Good old Beverly. <laughs> And, of course, we had Catherine Pulaski, but I'm loath to kind of count her, but... We'll just drop her down a triple lift shaft. You're all good. <laughs> drop her down a triple lift shaft. Um, on Deep Space Nine, Julian Bashir, uh, which we will get into that, I know. In uh, Voyager, we've got the Doctor, the holographic Doctor. Enterprise, of course, with the Denobulan Phlox. And then uh, on Discovery, we have Hugh Culber. Now, I didn't mention Paul Stamets when we were talking about engineers because, like I said, we're only going to kind of glaze over the inter- or the Discovery stuff. Uh, a lot of people are still catching on to that show. I, I myself, am a huge fan uh, of what they've done with the series. I think it's reinvigorated it. You drank um, the Kool-Aid. I did drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> it tasted like Romulan ale. But um, interesting to note um, the Pulaski's and the the recasted version of, of TOS, you know, they can factor into how we see each of the characters, but they're kind of peripheral for me. So while I really did appreciate Carl Urban's take on Dr. McCoy, he was very clearly running with a ball that was set by DeForest Kelly. Now, so if we're going to discuss the merits of each, let's let's do that. Let's start, let's start with talking about the merits and benefits and, and drawbacks of each. And then we'll make our choice. Does that sound good? Okay. So we first look for us, we got McCoy. McCoy was a very uh, backwoods country medical professional. Uh, kind of like your, like the Westerns. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to. Your barbers. Yeah, the barbers, surgeon, dentist. I'm going to prescribe you heroin for that kind of doctor, you know. Um, so that was really kind of old timesy, and, and I think they handled that in a decent way. Kind of what, uh, again, what Roddenberry was trying to go for. Uh, what about you? What do you think about Leonard McCoy? Mm-hmm. 
I like him, but sometimes he can be a bit too grumpy and tries to get under Spock's skin a little too much. But that was the game. Yeah, but that that was, <laughs> that was the, back then. It wasn't like I mean, you had the the bridge crew, you had the the senior officers, as they say. But really, it was just the dynamic between Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Mm-hmm. That was really kind of the enjoyable. But... The three musketeers. Yeah, no, he was very curmudgeonly, and I think that that was part of his charm. Yes, which is weird because it's not very charming if you're not. You're on the withering end of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's the doctor most likely to take you into sickbay and give you a shot of war- a whiskey and, and tell you to get over it. To suck it up. <laughs> what about you? I feel about the same. There's not a whole lot of character development there for him. Okay. Uh, next we have Beverly Crusher. Uh, mother to Wesley Crusher former slash current love interest of Captain Picard. Uh, so there's always kind of that sexual tension in the background of it, if you will. But uh, discuss. Beverly Crusher. What do you think? Definitely the best to look at. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, the bar's not set real high there, <laughs> unless you're into Denobulans. Uh, although... Hey, we don't keep shame here. Um, so you're just judging it based on appearances, say? No. <laughs> she replaced Worf's spine, for God's sake. Yeah, she had a lot of really crazy operations and procedures that she did. They focused on her a lot. They gave her a lot of things to do, uh, which I feel like the shows kind of can either... Like, uh, Next Gen was good with that. Uh, I think... Voyager was really good with that. Medically speaking, I don't know that Deep Space Nine was as, as up on that. They gave they certainly gave Bashir enough to do, but it wasn't always medical. Uh, with the whole I want to be a spy thing playing in the background. Well, and her knowledge of both humans and aliens alike was, was pretty... Oh, right, and I believe, I believe the character went and went on in, in the extended universe to teach at Starfleet Academy. And wasn't that the reason that they brought... Pulaski on in the first place. I, Supposedly, she went to teach at Starfleet Academy. I think so. Wasn't it? You don't know. I don't remember. It's been forever. I'm pretty sure. I should have one of you on Google. Except both of your phones are plugged in across the room. Uh, all right. So Julian Bashir. We're talking about Julian Bashir again. I love Deep Space Nine. I thought the character was fantastic, but I don't figure medically they did a whole lot with him. Um, well, they did medically stuff to him. <laughs> To him. Which was just annoying. <laughs> you talking about the whole uh, uh, like, genetical mod- genetic yeah, modification thing? Making like Superman. Which I didn't mind so much. I feel like if he was supposed to be the Superman, it should have they should have played off on that more. They didn't really Not until the later seasons. And even then it was kinda of glazed over. It wasn't Yeah, they did they did focus on the genetic enhancement for maybe a season. And then it kinda of just took a back seat, which then they t- they started focusing on the whole spy series, and he wanted to work for Section Thirty One. And if you know anything about uh, Star Trek in the books, past that, past the series end, that's all it is with Bashir. It's all Section Thirty One, and so it's all spy shit, which is fine. I mean, if you're into that, but as far as exercising his doctor muscles, I feel like we kind of got the short shrift on that. Uh, next, we got uh, the Doctor. Now, you want to talk about a character that had a lot of development and growth. I think you have to give the holographic emergency medical hologram 
doctor quite a bit of credit. Because he started off as just, I mean, the program was what? Supposed to run for like 36 hours and then be done? Just emergencies only? And they put his ass to work for seven or eight years. Like constantly. To the point where the computer program gained sentience. Which I thought was fascinating just because... Like I said, it shows the most development, the most growth. He becomes, he's Pinocchio. In a way that they tried to do with Commander Data on Next Generation. And to a degree did. But I feel like they kind of took the ball and ran with it with the Doctor. And made it more the mission to make him seen as more human. What do you think about our holographic Doctor? Nothing. (laughs) Not a big Voyager fan? Not a huge Voyager fan. What about you, Lee? Uh, not a huge Voyager fan, but I did, I did like the, the holographic doctor. Now, do you remember when they activated the emergency command hologram? When they rechanged his programming to act as an emergency commander in case... Didn't that go south? It Real did, quick. but they kept it. They kept it online, and I think they used it to their benefit one time later down the show. I don't remember the numbers, but... They ran him as an emergency command hologram and because he, he had this dream where he was utilized more. He wanted to be used more, taken more seriously. I can do more things. Didn't he at one point have like a mental break, quote unquote mental breakdown because of how much he was being used? Yeah, they overtaxed him. And so they had to like do a memory rebuffer. There's, there's some kind of sci-fi engineering jargon that they used to cover that. Yeah, they three fingered. Turned him off and turned him back on. <laughs> they had to call IT. <laughs> Is he plugged in? Um, okay. So the doctor obviously has his benefits and his flaws. He was a curmudgeon. Kind of a dick for the first half of his existence. Um, well, if somebody could just turn you off when they're annoyed with you. Oh, I'm not saying it wasn't <laughs> warranted, but um, it definitely kind of graded. Like, his little mannerisms at the beginning when he's like, will somebody please turn the program off when you leave? Like like a chagrined parent getting mad at their child for leaving the light on. He was a little obnoxious in the beginning. Right. <laughs> but I feel like they got a lot of traction out of him. They did a lot of things with him. Uh, then we move on to Dr. Phlox uh, from uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, Denobulin... I know they have a long lifespan. I'm not entirely sure if I remember how much. And I know they played around with the idea of polyamory with his species, which I thought was a good... Arguably uh, the least qualified. Yeah, because wasn't he into, like, holistic shit? He was, but he also had, like, no idea about humans. Human physiology, learning on the fly. He had to learn... Vulcan biology, learning on the fly. But all of the deeper space races he knew. Right. So, I think uh, he was very, let's try this and see what if it works. He, he was very holistic. He was the Zoidberg of Star Trek. <laughs> what? Me? Zoidberg? No, that would be great. That's a good analogy. I like that. The Zoidberg of Star Trek. I mean, well, I mean, look at the facts. He eats a lot. How many hearts do you have? All right. He's very genial. Misconstrued. Kind of winging it. I mean, he's not not Zoidberg. Um, and then we got uh, 
Uh, Dr. Hugh Culber, mm -hmm. uh, who is on uh, uh, Discovery. He is, like I said, he's, he's a good-looking dude. Mm -hmm. uh, married to Lieutenant Paul Stamets, the chief engineer of Discovery. And I, was, I know I was talking to you about this, Carrie. We talked about this on a previous episode when we talked about representation. But one of the things that I love the most is that we have our first out gay couple in Star Trek. And it's not a big deal. They, yeah. they don't say, hey, here's our gays. They just say, you know, it's a couple. Yeah, they're gay, but <laughs> who gives a shit? They're, they're just humans. Well, I mean, I guess that's... Evolution, uh, I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, what was I thinking? I was going to say that's uh, xeno, xenophobic. They're humans. I mean, they could be a Vulcan. They could be a whatever. They just happen to be humans, whatever. But they handled it in a very mature way, which I thought was great. Very, very progressive for Star, Star Trek. Star Trek has always been that way. Oh, yeah. They've always mean, been on the forefront of, of representation with females, with POC, and with, you know, gay and lesbian, trans things. They, they, they've been they've been pushing pushing the final frontier for a lot of years, if you pardon the <laughs> horrific pun. But, uh, okay, so Chief Medical Officer, first of all, Lee, we'll go. I gotta go, Beverly. I'd have to go with Bev as well. Beverly Crusher, that's two votes for Beverly. Uh, for me, I'm probably going to go with the doctor from Voyager. Just because, like I said, he had the most character growth. The biggest arc, I thought. I mean, and, and Bashir had the same type of arc, but I felt like they dropped the ball with it. So, next position we're going to talk about. Uh, communications. Now, this one is a bit difficult. Because there's not... After Enterprise, after TOS, the original series, there's not really a communications officer. Communications at that point is usually handled by tactical, by con. So you have people like Worf and Kira and everyone else kind of filling out. Whoever's on con at that point is filling out that position. The only two contenders I feel like we can really talk about are going to be uh, Uhura from the original series, and Hoshi Sato from Enterprise. Go. Gotta go Uhura, because I, I mean, I've seen all of Enterprise, but I don't really remember anything about Hoshi at all. Didn't make any kind of impression. She didn't leave a mark? Nope. Okay. Hoshi had created the first um, universal translator. The linguistic she, database, yeah. I would have to go with her. She definitely, as being on the forefront of the final frontier, had more to do. She wasn't but she was, the computer. She was neurotic as fuck. She was, but... <clears throat> again, how can you... I mean, I can't fault her for that. You can't wash away what she did. No. no. And, and I agree. I think... And I hate that I agree, because I've met Nichelle Nichols... She is absolutely one of the warmest people I have ever interacted with. She's like a warm hug. She is a warm hug. I got to hug her. She is a warm hug. She didn't hug me when I met her. Well, she didn't like you. Maybe you stank. Did you smell funny? No worse than anyone else at the cons. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to agree with you. I, I really enjoyed Michelle Nichols. I even enjoyed Zoe Saldana's reprisal of the role for the J.J. Abrams movies. They gave her a lot more to do in those movies. But really, they kind of just made her a love interest at that point, I felt like. And where do you have Counselor Troy on this list? Counselor Troy is kind of her own thing. 
Because uh, she, she almost could be argued as communications. Interpersonal communications? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, I feel like as a counselor, she cheated. She, she was a fucking empath. <laughs> It's like she can tell if you're lying. She can tell if you're hiding shit. She'd be the best. She'd be the best fucking counselor. Like, oh, I'm having a real hard time with this. Are you though? Because I'm not feeling that from you. You know what I'm saying? But as far as straight up, we're just talking straight up communications officer. We're not going to go. Because, I mean, like I said, you have uh, Worf and Tasha Yar and Data filling the role on Next Gen. You've got... Uh, on Deep Space Nine, you've got Kieran Reese, you've got uh, Jadzia Dax filling in the role, whoever's on the bridge or in uh, Khan at the time. Um, and then you have uh, Voyager didn't really have one. Um, no one really had one other than those two shows. So if we're going to go based on pure achievement alone, which I feel like we did with the Doctor as well, I'm going to have to keep it. The same, and I'm going to have to give it to Hoshi Sato. Yeah, I got to change my mind. Did we? Yeah. Did we just get our first unanimous? We got a unanimous. Yeah. Fuck, and I'm sad it's not Nichelle Nichols. I love her to death. What was done to that joke that did on Galaxy Quest about how he would just re- reiterate whatever the computer just said out loud? Which, and I, and okay, so I know we're not talking about Galaxy Quest as a whole for this thing but no other movie no other show has gotten the tropes so right on the fucking nose like painfully punched in the nose with it's gotta be my favorite star trek movie the or (laughs) you're not wrong and the orville does a lot of the same shit i don't know how up on the orville you guys are the orville does the same thing that's that old school feel it is the old school feel but it's it's not a joke where it could go hammy and jokey which I think is where uh, Galaxy Quest started off. It matured into a true imagining of like a real life kind of situation between the characters. So yeah, I think uh, Galaxy Quest and, and the Orville kind of share the same sensibility where they're, they're sending up, but they're sending it up so reverently that it becomes its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I would watch the Orville even if I didn't like Star Trek. I think they fucking handled it perfectly. So we have a unanimous vote for Hoshi Sato for communications. Out of two, which, you know, whatever. Um, next uh, position we're going to talk about is... We're going to skip around. We're going to go to Wild Card. This one's going to come on at the end, but I feel like kind of right in the middle seems to be a perfect place to talk about it. We're going to talk about wild cards, and then we're going to take a break. So we're going to, we're going to do this first. I want to get this out of the way. Wild card. Now, what I mean by wild card is each iteration of Star Trek has their own, not necessarily bridge crew member, but their, their crew member who is kind of a loose cannon or, you know, just a variable. Something that helps the ship, hinders the ship. Whatever it is. Uh, let's start with uh, the original series. Who would you say your loose cannon on the original series is? Your your wild card. We're talking crew member here or just anybody from the entirety of the show? Fuck it. Sky's the limit. Go. If we're going to go like detriment to the crew, I'd go uh, Trelane. Oh, yeah. The trickster. The, the, the quote-unquote proto-Q. <laughs> he was kind of a proto-Q. 
And 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 he definitely was. I think they, they addressed it in one of the books. Yeah, he actually kind of joined into the continuum and was messing around with them. Good. Somebody needs to fuck with those guys. Seriously. <laughs> Pull the collective stick out of their butt. I gotta go with Proto. <laughs> you like Proto Q? Uh, I gotta give it to Nurse Chapel. Uh, Nurse Chapel was played by uh, Roddenberry's soon-to-be wife at that point, Majel Barrett. Uh, she went on to voice the computer and looks at a Troy and everything like that. But as far as uh, crew members who really don't really have another home, but had enough to do to make a difference in the crew, I'd even almost give it to Ensign Rand, or Human Rand. Human Rand. Uh, she showed up in quite a few things and did a quite a few things and contributed. So mine would be a positive, your guys' would be a negative. So you guys are going to both go with Trelane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with uh, Next Generation. Wild card. Defend your answer, go. Guinan. Guinan, okay. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Solid choice. Uh, that is a solid choice. She was the Sam Malone of this ship. You know? <laughs> she really was. Tends the bar, dispenses wisdom. I dig that. That's a really good answer. And how many times did Picard go to her and be like, Hey. Well, fuck, they even chapped her for Generations, the movie, so... I, I agree, that's a good choice. That's a very solid choice. What about you, Lee Bay? Um, I think I go Guinan. Wow. I don't want to go with, like, Q two in a row, so... Yeah, you don't want to do two, <laughs> two different... Uh, well, Q's, like, through all the, all the well, shows, so... Q, we, we could also do Deep Space. Yeah, Q just shows up wherever we want to. Okay, space uh, any particular reason you're choosing Guinan, or same reasons let's choose, or... Knows like everything and is like this wise person you can go to. Well, and her backstory was so tragic. Right with the with the Nexus and mm-hmm. her people in general. I'll give you Guinan. I really appreciate that as a choice. Uh, not my choice. My choice would have to be Reg Barkley. He was in Voyager as a positive force, but only because. He was a negative force in Next Generation. They wanted to depict addiction, and they used him as a method to depict hollow addiction, which I think, uh, if we were to have hollow technology, would be a real fucking oh, thing. Everybody be I know damn well I'd be addicted to hollow. Look at how we are with our phones. I'm staring at my phone right now. Did you say that because I'm staring at my phone right now? Yes. Jackass. <laughs> no, I agree, but uh, but definitely he was a, a, a futuristic take on addiction. Because at that point, we've eradicated most drugs. We've eradicated, you know, liquor. Uh, they, they moved into Synthahol until Deep Space Nine existed. Um, they didn't even really talk about Romulan Ale anymore at that point. But they handled the nature of addiction really, really well with Ray Barkley. So they, they, of course, painted it as a negative and, and someone who obviously needed pity and help. But then they turned that around when they brought him on to... Uh, uh, Voyager, and were able to make such solid use of him in a way that made sense that it became a very positive. So my wild card for next gen would have to be Reg Barkley. Okay. Deep Space Nine. Oh, I know mine. I know mine too. Garrick. Elon Garrick. <laughs> only, only I, think, Garrick. <laughs> I love that we're unanimous on that. Taylor, okay. spy, lo- potential love interest for Dr. Bashir. Uh, Andrew Robinson played the role with such sleazy charm that it was hard not to like him, even when 
He's doing horrifically unlikable shit. He's a guy who can get stuff done. <laughs> You're not really sure which side he's on. You just know he's on his own side, but occasionally he helps out. He looks out for his own best interests, and yes. you just kind of hope that his best interests align with your best interests. Yes. If not, you're, you're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> the Obsidian Order cracks down on you. I really loved the the interaction that they brought in with him and uh, Bashir. And in fact, if you watch the documentary What We Leave Behind, which uh, discusses what they might have done with a season eight. It discusses the interaction between characters and everything. They had an interview with Andrew Robinson where he talks about that he in, has seen the articles where they're basically shipping uh, Bashir and Garrick together. And he's like, yeah, I did that shit on purpose. <laughs> I was intentionally playing someone who's, who's gender fluid and poly and really open to that and... I think you get that. I mean, I don't know that uh, necessarily that Alexander City was doing the same thing. Uh, he was very much playing off of it, but it, at first, I don't think it came across like he was being flirted with. Uh, it's really complicated, which I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, how many times have you been flirted with and just not fucking known about it? It's happened. Uh, same thing. I've flirted with other people, and they had no idea I was flirting with them. It's like, okay. Yeah, you so, can stop now. Shut up. Uh, okay, so I think that's great. Uh, a unanimous Elam Garrick for Deep Space Nine. He was a perfect uh, kind of a cat's paw for a lot of things. So, uh, Which moves us to Voyager, best wild card character. Seven of nine? Defend your answer. Just the whole juxtaposition about whether she was... I mean, she's bored, <laughs> but not. Yeah. And there's always that, that underlying, is she part of the crew, or... Will she turn... Will she turn on us? It's interesting. What about you, Lee? Uh, Something that's a good answer, but I'm going to go Neelix. Get that cheese to sick bay. Hey, yeah. <laughs> that the, relief. That was the, the gel pack episode, where the, the gel packs caught a cold or something like something that, from like his that. moldy cheese, or... Mm-hmm. I remember that. Uh, I, I'd say uh, I was I was probably thinking along the same lines, but explain your points and I'll go with mine. Mostly it's the comic relief to like you know because it's so super serious they're stuck you know tens of thousands of light years away. Seventy five thousand. Mm-hmm. You just need something to take the edge off of the utter depression that you would feel from being stuck that far from home for oh, basically yeah. the rest of your life. Holy shit! Yeah, can you imagine the fucking space depression on that? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, well everyone I've loved, yeah, they'll be dead. Maybe I'll be dead. I'm never going to see anything I love ever again. That's a heavy weight. And so Neelix with his fucking clothing from an upholstery shop. and <laughs> Take a solution and it just exploded and he was there. I'm sad to mention that I didn't mention Quark in Wildcard. Because he would have also been a good Wildcard for Deep Space Nine. Um, but I digress. Anyways, uh, Neelix would be my choice as well. Again, for the comic relief, like you say. But also for his everyman aspect. He was basically whatever the ship needed him to be. Ambassador, navigator, cook. Uh, uh, cook. <laughs> cook with quote marks, right. I've seen you can't eat replicated food all the time. Right. He made the best out of what they had. And so, uh, very much in the way that O'Brien did with engineering, he did with food. Because, you know, you got questionable shit coming from every planet Voyager touches down on. How do we make this shit edible? Edible in quote marks again. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm kind of like... I'd give it to Neelix. Oh, you're changing your answer. I am. 
Oh, I think we went full unanimous again. So we went from Seven of Nine, who was a good character. Very good choice. Very solid choice. Uh, okay, so we're going to give it to Neelix then. Neelix gets the unanimous vote. And I was going to write all these down, but meh. Wild card's just what it is. It's a wild card. Okay, so now we've got Enterprise. It's really hard on Enterprise, but I would give it, and I'm going to go first this time, uh, to uh, Shran, the Andorian. Played by the same, I forget his name, but he played Wayun. He played Brunt. Combs. Jeffrey Combs. He played so many different characters on Star Trek, but he played uh, Ambassador Shran on uh, on Enterprise, and he always does such a solid job of bringing his characters to life. I mean, of course, you can't hide his voice. You always know it's him, but whether he's playing a Ferengi, whether he's playing a Vorta, whether he's playing an Andorian, you always know it's him, but I kind of like that because he's such a ubiquitous actor that he just kind of crams himself into all the different roles and so he was an excellent foil for Archer he was also an excellent friend to Archer towards the end so he kind of played both sides of the coin which I really enjoyed so Carrie I didn't have a wild card for Enterprise yeah no no one you could think of that kind of stands out not really what about the dog man I was gonna say the dog (laughs) (laughs) you gotta have some pets man okay so Lee you're gonna go with uh, Porthos um, that dog really did keep Archer. They kept him sane. It really, he really did. I like your answer. That is a good answer. And I'll say that uh, I really got to say I like the way they handled Scotty in um, the J.J. Abrams reboots, where they had the reason he was being exiled to this remote outpost was because he beamed Porthos into space. And I don't know if they ever talked about whether that killed him or not. But he beamed Porthos into space, and that's what got him in trouble. Which I thought was funny. So we got Porthos for both of you? I gotta go with Porthos. Okay, and I'm gonna stick with Shran, just because I thought he was uh, a compelling character that didn't really get... He didn't really fit in any other place. Um, Alright, so we're gonna take a quick break for commercial. Come back, callous commercial break, and then we'll come back and continue down the ranks and uh, see where we all end up. We'll be right back. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, welcome back. Thank you for that. All right, so we got a few more positions that I want to talk about. Key positions with our starship and or station crews. Uh, the next that I want to talk about is the pilot's position or the con officer or whatever you want to call it. Now, a lot of different people have filled in in different various capacities, but for the most part on several of the shows there's a solid officer to pick from. So, for the first, uh, of course we're going to go with the original series, you got Hikaru Sulu. While he had other duties, his primary job was flying the ship. You got to give it to the old classics, played by uh, 
George Takei. Uh, I've met George Takei. Fantastic dude. So, but um, then we move on to uh, we're going to go to Next Generation. Next Generation didn't really have a con officer. It rotated between junior officers. Although that's where Jordy LaForge got his start. You have Data filling in. You have Wesley Crusher filling in. Which again, we talked about wild cards. I'm surprised none of you picked Wesley Crusher as a wild card for Next Generation. But you know, shut up, Wesley. Just, I mean, there wasn't really a point to his character. Precocious youth character. Then we move on to uh, Deep Space Nine. Again, we didn't really have a con officer on Deep Space Nine. We had several people fill the role. Uh, most notably, Miles O'Brien. Well, once um, the Defiant was brought into the picture, we had uh, Jadzia Dax and also Kieran Reese taking turns at the helm. So we didn't really have, I mean, Nog also sat in as well. It was kind of whoever was available on any given mission. So there wasn't really one strategic choice for who would be the con officer choice for, for Deep Space Nine. So we move on to Voyager. That's a very easy one. Tom Paris. Tom Paris was that flyboy attitude, the, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, no pun intended, but pun actually very much intended, you know what I mean? Um, to the point where he was the muscle head, the muscle car guy, built his own starship from scratch kind of guy, which I thought was kind of fun. Unnecessary, but fun. It, it, gave, it gave him something to do. Was it him? Was it him that came from, like, space truckers? No, he was in prison. That's right. He was in prison uh, because he worked with the Maquis for like a week and got busted on like his first mission and then ended up, they pulled him onto the ship to kind of lead Voyager to the Maquis base. So he was kind of the turncoat, which explains a lot of the tension early on between him and B'Elanna Taurus and him and Chakotay because he was there to rat them out. And I think that went on a lot longer than it should have, given the fact that Tuvok was there, literally embedded in their crew, ratting them out, and they didn't give him nearly the rationed shit they gave Tom Paris. But so we got Tom. It was personal. Oh well, yeah, and and Tom Paris is rather impetuous, hot-headed, temperamental, which is Tuvok is none of those things. So. Um, then we got Travis Mayweather. On Enterprise, um, he was the space trucker. Right. His his family was space truckers, and he kind of jumped on board. Is I mean, truckers. they were all kind of new at this. There wasn't really a Starfleet to begin with, so he was the logical choice. They wanted a space trucker to fly a ship. Makes sense. And then on Discovery, uh, you have Lieutenant Kayla Detmer, which we only kind of basically get to know a little bit. She's a very ancillary character. They don't spend a whole lot of time with her. Um, but she's admirably played. Um, so let's go with the original series first and foremost, Hikaru Sulu. Say your piece. TOS wasn't really my jam. Really? Did you not watch the original series much at all? I did not watch much of it. Okay, but do you know of Hikaru Sulu at all? or I mean, other than being... The best fabulous gay icon this side of the Milky Way. Um, he, I mean, he didn't flew the ship. I mean, they gave him a few things to do, but major plot points they really didn't give him a whole well, lot. 
until the movies. Mm-hmm. And when you bring him to the movies, that's when he was given the ability to, you know, captain his own ship, uh, which he did very... was putting him down all the time. Well, Shatner and his relationship was contentious, to say the least. I distinctly remember um, the roast of William Shatner, where Shatner rode in literally on a horse because oh. Shatner does a lot of equestrian events and things like that, and equestrian charities and such. And uh, George Takei literally, or Takei literally sat there and said, and I've been waiting to say this to you for 35 <laughs> fucking years. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. And that was the most well-placed joke I've ever heard. Um, that was great. But they gave him more to do in the movies in that they gave him his own ship. So they rode him off the crew, but <laughs> they upgraded him too. So, um, And then, of course, played by John Cho. We got a little bit more action time. Uh, they weighed in a little bit, leaned into the, the swordsmanship aspect of it that we really only saw in the Naked Time episode, uh, which is when his brain got infected by parasites and he went around chasing people around the ship with a, with a fucking fencing rapier, which was funny. Um, so then, okay, fine. We'll go from Sue to... Next Generation, I mean, we've already discussed it. There's not musical really... Chairs. What's that? Musical chairs. Yeah, quite literally, musical con. Uh, who would you say was the best of the bunch, if you can think of one? Data. Data? That's a good choice. Certainly the most able. Yeah. I mean, he could interface with the ship. Yeah. Did he, though? A couple times. Hmm. Didn't he? No love for Wesley Crusher one more time. Sorry there, Will. Um, okay, so Deep Space Nine, same situation. I would have to say if I had to pick one of the bunch, it'd probably be Dax, just because she had seven lifetimes worth of experience, and she or eight lifetimes worth of experience that she could uh, use to think situations out. So she was pretty well qualified. Um, Voyager, Tom Paris. I just you you don't whole, like Voyager. I don't like Warp 10 and the Shuttlecraft. That was ridiculous. <laughs> like, Q can't even do that. I was like, come on. They, kill they, kill bent, they bent a few rules for the good old Delta Flyer. I thought the the idea was was solid. I mean, you've got this, this muscle car enthusiast type yeah. who needs a, a hobby, who flies a ship. Why wouldn't his hobby be building another goddamn... You know, shuttlecraft, which with as many as they destroyed on Voyager, you figure they'd have been running low after a while. They just seem to keep regenerating. Well, lots of parts. From where? They get them. They're on replicator rations. It's not like they could exactly just make new shit. They had to find a lot of species they could trade water with. You got to say, arguably one of the best behind the stick. He, again, fly, flyboy, hothead, impetuous, um, all very strong qualities in a pilot. Yeah. And they tried to emulate that a lot with the Orville. Uh, Scott Grimes' character on that show, um, Lieutenant Malloy, is very much in the same mold. Kind of the, the wannabe comedian, kind of brag. Very much the, the same character. I, I feel they leaned into that a bit, and, and, and they, they've, they, rightfully so. I think Tom Paris kind of embodied the hot-headed pilot 
more than anything else. And it even brings back notes of like Han Solo or uh, Poe Dameron, things like that. Things like that that kind of give you, that evoke the space jockey. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so we go to uh, Travis Mayweather. I feel like Mayweather didn't really stand out much as a character. They didn't give him a lot to do other than fly the ship. Does that make sense? I mean, it's like a classic wheel man. Yeah. In, in that respect, is that was the one thing he did, but he was damn good at it. Right. And they aped him a bit on uh, on uh, Galaxy Quest, a bit, with the kid pilot. Because he was very much bright-eyed and eager at the beginning of Enterprise, and he kind of grew into his uh, cynicism quite naturally, I think. But uh, they kind of aped him a lot with that, where you have the kid who's the con officer. But they kind of they kind of mocked Wesley Crusher a little bit with that one, too. But by the time we come around to his older character, he's much more cynical and much more uh, jaded. But we still get that boyish enthusiasm. And I feel we got a lot of that with Mayweather as well. And I got nothing really to say about Detmer, Lieutenant Detmer from Discovery. They don't... They've they've given her maybe an episode's worth of time, uh, but we don't really get to know her very well as a character yet. We're only in the second season, so I'm hoping we get a little bit more time. Uh, so overall, place your bets, place your votes. I gotta go with Tom Paris or Data. Gotta pick one. one. I think that they didn't really use Data to his full capacity in that that mm-hmm. area so I'd have to go with Tom Paris and they were using him a lot of other places too so it's understandable that they didn't spread data into that role as much what about you Lee? yeah I think about Paris he's the, the, he's the, the he seems the, like the, the natural choice and obviously I'm going to go with Paris as well the pilotiest pilot the pilotiest pilot <laughs> so okay so unanimous vote for Tom Paris next we're going to move up to tactical and security uh, this one's a little bit easier. They did actually have characters in each of the roles, but a couple of the roles are rather nebulous, and I'll discuss with you why. Uh, the original series, we have uh, Pavel Chekhov. was their tactical security officer? The young kid on the ship. I think he was, what, 19 when he en- enrolled and came out of the academy and, and got his posting on the Enterprise, uh, played by Walter Koenig. Okay, so then we have Anton Yelchin, who's played... Uh, Chekhov really, really well in the first two of the... Or was he in all three? I think he was in all three of the J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot movies and then tragically passed away. Um, well, he didn't pass away. He got hit by his fucking car and pinned to a pole. He died rather horrifically. But we lost him very, very young, and he was very, very good at what he did. Uh, so again, say what you want about the J.J. Abrams reboots. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't really faithful Star Trek-type movies. But they cast him magnificently. J.J. has an eye for casting. So then we move on to uh, Next Generation. Tactical and Security started off by Tasha Yar, who handled it for, what, two, three seasons? Three seasons. Three seasons before they killed her off? Denise Crosby? That was like one season. I can look it up, but I'm not going to. So Tasha Yar got killed off and then was replaced by uh, Lieutenant Worf who I thought was an able stand-in. I mean, 
You got this big, burly Klingon dude on your ship. Do you really want him just flying the ship? Who better to, to play security than a Klingon? I mean... Yeah, I mean... Who do you want behind your back? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't fuck with Tasha Yar. She was a badass. Don't get me wrong. But, I, no. Worf would intimidate the shit out of anybody. Then with uh, Deep Space Nine, of course, we have Constable Odo. Uh, René Aubergeois, which I had to work on how to pronounce that initially. How many times have you done that? That's a lot. A lot. Aubergeois. Uh He's a, a fantastic actor. Uh, very, he played the gruff private eye type role uh, because the role of Constable wasn't a Starfleet role. And in fact, they gave the role to Commander Eddington, if you remember, uh, during, I believe it was season two or season three, right before the war really kicked off. And then, of course, Eddington ended up being a turncoat for the Maquis, which really chap Ben's ass but uh, through it all Odo remained constant Odo was dedicated to security he was dedicated to his mission so we got that we'll get into the, we'll get into the discussion of the characters here in a minute but then on uh, on Voyager of course you had uh, Lieutenant Tuvok able-bodied sound of mind um, Vulcan which I think Deep Space Nine and, and Next Generation kind of suffered for lack of a strong Vulcan character because we'd already set the stage with Spock being such a primary choice and such a primary race, and then not to have that influence, I think, was felt. I felt the loss of it. I would, so, I would agree with that, because Enterprise had T'Pol. T'Pol was great. Subcommanded T'Pol. And then um, Malcolm Reed on Enterprise played their tactical security officer. I uh, don't have a lot to say about him. Able played by Dominic... Keating, that's right, Dominic Keating. Uh, played it well. And then, uh, and then of course, with uh, Discovery, we have Ash Tyler, which I really can't discuss without spoiling all you guys, so we're not going to get much into uh, Discovery yet. But I liked it. it. They handled it well. So, Pavel Chekhov, pros and cons. Hit me. Who wants to go first? I love Walter Koenig, but... And... Chekhov's good on tactical, but... They didn't give him a lot to do. Yeah, he just kind of... He was just there. He was there to mispronounce Wessel. <laughs> and that's about it. Um, that's all I'd have to say. The nuclear Wessels. And of course, then they they gave him a meteor role in uh, Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they put him right back to status quo yeah, after that. So. That's the problem. Just, they go reset button. Then we have uh, Tasha Yar, Lieutenant Worf. Love, love Tasha, but you, know, you want to leave that show, apparently it's going to kill you. No black no glue on the floor of a planet. Black tar. Yeah. Nothing says you're you're more for your fight than what Worf did to become part of Starfleet. That's true, and I think it aped a lot of what... Uh, Spock went through to join Starfleet as well back in the original series, which is what I loved about Worf's character. Is that he was the first. And and I think a lot of these shows had firsts in that same regard. You know, you had the first human or Vulcan in Starfleet. You had Worf as the first Klingon in Starfleet. Deep Space Nine, you had Nog as the first Ferengi in Starfleet. 
And well, I'm sure we have. Well, we got the first Borg in Starfleet with the right. with uh, <laughs> with Seven of Nine, and then uh, Janeway. But we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of firsts, and of course, then you had Sub Commander T'Pol brought in for Enterprise, who technically would make her, I guess, the first Vulcan in Starfleet. I guess when they rewrote that history, but I don't think it takes away from what. Did, did they change canon with that, or? I don't think so. They never mentioned it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we got Tuvok on Voyager. Oh wait, we didn't we didn't finish talking about Tasha Yar and, and yeah, Worf. So, uh, uh, and, and Worf on Tactical is great, but Worf just keeps getting nerfed. Like the the a new big bad physical threat shows up on Enterprise and just beats the crap out of Worf, like time after time after time. So it just kind of lowered the effectiveness of Worf. As a character, I felt. For, for being Klingon, he was the least Klingon of a Klingon. <laughs> but I mean, just, being raised by humans. Yeah. Which is to be expected, yeah. He's, he's not going to have that that fight that Klingons I mean, he's, he's still a badass, but it just he kept getting lower and lower as a, bad, a badass over time. Which is, I feel, when they brought him on to Deep Space Nine, they kind of they inverted that. Because over the course of uh, the next generation, they kind of brought him down, brought him down, enemy of the week... Uh, you know, they always had to find a bigger badass, but then you get to Deep Space Nine, and they introduced him in Deep Space Nine, and they brought him in more of a command capacity, and you really start to see him kind of become a badass again. Become a badass again to the point where he's commanding Klingon fighters and joining the House of Martok, and and I think they kind of gave him that, gave him his balls back. As they his were. character arc in DS Nine was amazing. Absolutely. Um, so that's our Lieutenant Worf. Well, now let's talk about Odo. What do you got to say about uh, good old Constable Odo? I love Odo. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I had to pick just one of all these people, I would go with Odo as my guy. Just as your main he, character in general? Well, just for like you know, for security. Like nobody can beat his effectiveness. I mean, he can shapeshift to whatever he wants. He can turn into a bird and fly up. But he can't do ears. <laughs> Which always astonished me. He just can't do ears. Well, it just took practice, because when, right. when he did that little time loop thing, he was able to do ears just perfectly. Right, eventually. Gary? He's practice. Odo. Yeah. He's, he's, he's awesome. He's the guy. I he's like the that guy. they tried to personify him a little bit more human, if you want to pardon the expression. Uh, solid, as he calls him, once they discovered that he was a member of the Dominion. Uh, his love of Kieran Reese humanized his character a lot more. Plus, if need be, he can just be put into a bucket. Or Loxana Troy's dress. Those episodes with Loxana Troy were so fucking painfully awkward. I swear to God. They were. It was... It was hard to watch. I mean, she's so hammy and over the top as, as Loxana Troy. And, and I, amazing... But at the same time, playing this super silly role against Odo's stern and, and and yeah, it just it was it was something. It was certainly something. But as far as Odo's concerned, yes, he's got the shape shifting ability. He's got the hard nosed detective angle. He's got the I worked for the bad guys, so I know the bad guys angle. Mm-hmm. You know, having worked for on Terek Noah during the uh, occupation, uh, 
Um, he spent some time as a solid after they stripped him of his ability to shapeshift, which I think only kept, kept lending to his depth of character. They really developed him well uh, over the course of time. Now with uh, that said, we move on to Voyager Tuvok. Uh, started off kind of as a spy for the Maquis, or on the Maquis, for the uh, Federation to the Maquis, mm -hmm. and then brought back into tactical and science. They kind of had him as a dual kind of role, uh, tactical and science, which I think he shared that role with, with Janeway, but we'll talk about that more down the road here. Um, but his job couldn't have been easy because you're dealing with a bunch of races you have no idea about. You're dealing with a bunch of situations you can't prepare for. Uh, in the meantime, you're trying to train new recruits on the fly because you left Starbase without proper crew. Uh, we've talked about making the best of what you have. I think that's kind of the same situation there. What do you guys think? Did a decent job. I mean, you know, all these unknown threats. Given what he had, he did the best he could. Right, and, and to keep things going and then to keep his... Vulcan equanimity at the same time was not easy. Um, and we see that break every now and again. We saw with the Tuvix episode. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was one of the hardest episodes to watch. Very emotional uh, when they combined Tuvok and Neelix uh, for one episode as a character Tuvix and, and Janeway having to make that hard decision to split these crew members apart who have become a new entity. That's... That's a motherfucker right there. Uh, so that's Tuvok. Uh, next, and we'll talk about Malcolm Reed. Malcolm Reed was a very contentious character for me because for the first couple seasons, he played like he was Archer's dude. And then we come to find out that he was a Marine the entire time and kind of under Starfleet's Mako command and not archers which I feel is kind of shady and I didn't really like it and it kind of painted the character in a very negative way for me. What do you guys think about Malcolm Reed? I kind of feel the same way to be honest. It was kind of a slap yeah. in the face when he found out. Yeah, because I mean he always acted like like archer's dude, like his man like his right hand dude other than Trip, and to have that just yanked away unceremoniously, I mean, it was a punch in the stomach, and it felt like a betrayal. All right, and then uh, we won't talk about Ash Tyler. I don't want to spoil anything for everybody, but I thought they handled it well. Lee, I think you need to watch it. Um, so who's your choice? Security. Tactical. It's not an easy Tactical, one this time. Give it to Worf, but... no, same position. Oh, it's you, the same position. Tactical and security... From every bit of research that I did, basically inhabits the same position. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, because come uh, Constable Odo, okay. I gotta go with Worf. Worf? He, he kind of hit every obstacle and bounced back. Like I said, they replaced his fucking spine. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Odo, just because of character journey and character arc, but it was a close call with him and, and Worf. Yeah. Not that I have anything against any of the other characters, may except maybe Malcolm Reed, but... Um, Odo showed the most character growth, the most point A to point B, I guess. I mean, that's what character growth is, but he uh, he exhibited the most humanizing 
of all the traits. Mm. Rather like the doctor on Voyager, to go from one extreme to the other. I felt they really utilized him as a character well. Because uh, they could have easily, very easily played that shapeshifter trick and just been like one trick pony with that. They could have easily fallen into that trap. And we would have all fucking accepted it too. Because it's a cool trick. But after a while, it's a one trick pony. So, okay. So we'll put Odo down for security. Science. Easy enough. The original series... We're just going to name the characters, and then we'll each talk about our pluses and minuses with them. I think I'm kind of talking too much, and I hate the sound of my own voice. So we're going to get you guys involved a little bit. Uh, the original series, Mr. Spock. Next Generation, for all intents and purposes, again, a rotating position, but by and large, Lieutenant Commander Data. Uh, Deep Space Nine, Jadzia Dax. Voyager was a split, again, between... I believe Harry Kim and Catherine Janeway. She played her own science officer for the most part, which is appropriate because she was a science officer. Um, Enterprise, we had Subcommander T'Pol. And then Discovery, of course, we have Saru and Michael Burnham, which we won't get into because, again, spoiler territory. So, Mr. Spock, pros and cons. First Vulcan, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. Bringing that logic and lack of emotion to a science, it's its very... Appropriate. Appropriate, yeah. Yeah. You have to be completely unbiased. As a scientist, it would yeah. make sense to be unbiased. So, you're absolutely right. I think that, that does definitely uh, work well in his advantage for that. What about you, Lee? The, you know, being a, a half-folk and half-human, he's that's always kind of clashing with itself. Yeah. So you have to play way more toward the logic side and just kind of repress the, the human side. So the, the human curiosity is kind of put down a little bit. Which kind of takes takes on an internal battle for him. Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah, I feel a, a lot of the same exact kind of feelings about that. He was the, uh, the first Vulcan in Starfleet, uh, which gave him an advantage and a disadvantage both. Um, whereas he had to fight the, the racism xenophobia I guess space racism (laughs) (laughs) from his his own people and from from both yeah Uh, he had to overcome all of that to become what he became which in in general was he went from science officer to first officer to captain to admiral to ambassador he ran the gamut he went from every possible position you could possibly do and he did them all with with a plum, I think, and he handled himself in a way that would make his Vulcan ancestors proud. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is he did it with a stoicism, and as Carrie was saying, I think he did it with uh, the nearly perfect lack of bias that you would need to have to be a true scientist. So that's definitely points in, in Commander Spock's favor. Yeah. Um, next up, we would have, of course... Um, Next Generation, which brings us Data. Again, I think we're on the same path with Data. The dude's a supercomputer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> How much more scientific can you get than your brain's a fucking quantum computer? You know? He, he is, is made science. of science. <laughs> He's exactly made of science. And so, uh, 
he was an obvious choice to play like a science type officer. Mm-hmm. They, but also he's got that curiosity that we were talking about with like he's more human than Mr. Spock in that manner. Right. Because he's while Spock is trying to shut out his humanity and yeah, shut it up. He's always looking for that humanity. Right, exactly. Embracing it. And and, and that brings a certain puckish charm to the character, I think. But again, you get that bias crushed by being a computer, an emotionless computer, I think that kind of puts him right up there with Spock in that same regard. Now, Lee, did you have anything else to add about Lieutenant Commander Data except that he's made of science? (laughs) That is such an appropriate... I want to get a t-shirt made that just says, has Data's face and says, made of science. Unlimited Data, made of science. Anything else? No. No? Okay. So we'll move on to Jedzia Dax. Strong candidate here now, guys. And for the reasons that I stated before, Jedzia Dax has eight lifetimes worth of knowledge floating around in that little slug of hers. Gives her very, very unique perspectives across the spectrum. Male, female, um, various different life choices that have all led up to where she's at now. Seeing that evolution firsthand. Well, I mean, you're not kidding. <laughs> um, that's fucking what, like, oh god, how many years was it? Eight generations. Eight generations worth. And she served in so many different capacities. Um, just with Curzon, she was an ambassador to the Klingon Empire, and then moving on to um, Deep Space Nine, where she became the science officer. Just those two roles alone would earn her a very top spot in this conversation. But she had all the other lifestyle or lifetimes to um, gather that information, that first-hand knowledge, that curiosity that just kept propagating every time she regenerated. My favorite episode is probably the one where all of her life, her different lives are separated. Mm. And played out by the different characters? Yeah. Oh my god, that was such a good episode. When they brought in uh, Lita and... and An old man. Oh, my God. That was so good. I kind of want to watch that episode again. Like, I need a uh, reason to fucking start watching Deep Space Nine again. But, uh, all right. Anything else on Jadzia, you guys? I hated that the way they wrote off the show. Just well, Terry Farrell wanted to go. Yeah, but it just seems like any time an actor or actress wants to leave... Star Trek show. They nerf them. They just do horrible things to them. <laughs> well, and, and if again, watch, I can't recommend this documentary. What you what they leave behind, or what you leave behind, what we leave behind, done by Stephen Ira Bear, uh, where they talk to a lot of the crew. They don't talk to Avery Brooks. He doesn't do interviews anymore. Yeah, but true. which is a shame. Um, but they talk to Terry Farrell, and she's so fucking emotional when she's like, "I wanted to leave, yeah, but I didn't want him to fucking kill me." You know, and, and just seeing, well, just, and, and I know she likes Nicole Bear, uh, who played Esri Dax, but I, and I don't think she holds it against her, because that's just Paramount doing Paramount things, mm-hmm. but uh, she, she definitely, you could see the emotion in her. She was so very sad to have been just cast aside like that cast aside now i want to take a second to bring this in the guy who brought this idea to my head to wanting to do a dream trek casting episode chris you know chris my buddy chris over in detroit 
uh, he had sent me his uh, list at one point of his dream casting. And so uh, that's what got the idea started for me. And he just actually, in the middle of taping this, he texted me. He's like, hey, out of the blue. I never talked to this guy. I talked to him like once a month, once every two months or something. And he just randomly texts while we're doing the middle of this. So I'm gonna, I had him send me his Dream Trek cast. I'm going to go through that here at the end, too. So, Chris, you get a shout-out from a distance. That means you get to share this podcast with all your friends and make them freaking listen, too. But, okay, so that's Dax. So after Dax, we have Catherine Janeway, Harry Kim on Star Trek Voyager. Um, which one he wants to jump in? I talk too much. I'm gonna get laryngitis. Voyager is not either of our. Voyager is not your strong suit. Um, I'd probably put Seven of Nine as the. Eventually, but she was more astro navigation than she was science. I think. That was pretty late in the series, wasn't it? She came in around season five, I think. That was was three. Because they they wrote off uh, Kess pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, we can Google it. But either way, they handled her more like a space navigator than they did as a true science officer. But, okay, we'll give you seven of nine is your choice. I take that. There's reasons. You have reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Carrie? Not your... I got, I got nothing. Got nothing. Well, a large percentage Not of... Not only for the science officer, no. Science content was usually handled by uh, Harry Kim, who you have the boyish, youthful, uh, willing-to-please-the-captain attitude, and then you have the captain herself. Yeah, a little too eager beaver, if we're being honest. Uh, A little apple polishy. uh, You don't want to go to her bad side. No, you don't want to be on Jamie's bad side. (laughs) Set the coffee down and walk away. Um, But Jamie herself was able to handle a large portion of that because Jamie, before becoming captain of... Uh, Voyager um, was a science officer herself. So she gets that. So mm-hmm. we'll talk too much about that then. Almost if, almost too much. There was a couple times, if I remember correctly, where her her wanting to do the science portion outweighed her outweighed love of her captaining group. and her need to captain. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so it could have almost become into detriment mm-hmm. because scientists have to have that natural curiosity that a captain might be like, hold on a goddamn minute. We, <laughs> we can get back to Earth. Put <laughs> the science down. <laughs> put this, we can't do this right now. Uh, and then, that, of course, that goddamn prime directive always getting in the way of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then so after that, we got Subcommander T'Pol uh, filling in and the science role on... Uh, on the Enterprise. Again, very Spock. Very Spockish. And I think that lends itself just to being Vulcan. Vulcans have a natural... But she'd have that... The the mind meld. Yeah. That, that whole catastrophe. That was with Tucker, wasn't it? It was. And it kind of broke her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that Earmodic Syndrome? Or I don't remember the name of that. It was... It was... Something like that. I remember. And, uh... I think the Vulcan nature is just... That's why they tend to make better scientists than they do command officers. And I know they've used Vulcans in a command capacity in several different occasions. First and foremost being Spock as he advanced through the ranks. But also in the very first two episodes of Deep Space Nine, the the commanding officer of uh, Commander Sisko's ship was a Vulcan. 
uh, play, played by the guy who went on to play uh, Martok. So it was the same actor, which is fantastic, as you get to see him be the Vulcan, and then you get to see him really let loose as, as Martok, which was great. So, okay. And then we won't get into too much about uh, Discovery. Uh, Michael Burnham plays the science officer slash uh, Saru, played by Doug Jones. Fantastically, I might add. I can't imagine what it takes to get into that makeup. Well, but that's a creepy-looking dude, but nonetheless. He is so skinny. Doug Jones is is that guy. One of the foremost character actors on the planet. <laughs> He's the guy. He's that fish guy from uh, Shape of Water, Ape Sapien. He did... Uh, Literally everything. Yeah. If you want a tall, lanky, creepy motherfucker in a costume, he's your dude. And like, he did... What was the Buffy? It was one of the... the I can't remember. The episode Hush, where they... It's like, no talking, it's all just voice I episode. I didn't watch much Buffy, but uh, I do remember him being on that. And then he did the Guillermo del Toro movie, where he had the fucking eyes in his hands and shit. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. That's a creepy fucking movie. Yeah, it is. Guillermo del Toro does creepy well, and apparently so does Doug Jones. So, um, but okay, so we have our choices. Mr. Spock, Commander Data, Jadzia Dax... Janeway slash Harry Kim, or Seven of Nine. Uh, Subcommander to Paul. Who would you choose? Um, this I, is a hard one. I'm going to go Dax. Just lifetime's experience. Because I'd be worried that uh, Data would get uh, scooped up and declared, hey, you're not really sentient. We're just going to break you down into bits. <laughs> yeah, they tried that. How many times? And then they, lore, they try and the then game. everything else. And Carrie, how about you? Science. For science, man. See, as much crap as I talked about to Paul, I really loved her character. Yeah, she was great. She had a pretty good arc. I mean, she was one of the shining spots in Enterprise, and it needed him sorely. Aside from the dog. I gotta go with Dax. Lieutenant Dax? Okay. Uh, I'm gonna buck the trend. I know I normally go for... The Deep Space Nine characters, because I'm a huge Deep Space Nine fan, and everybody I talk to knows it. But I'm going to go Spock. I'm going to say, you got to go OG in this particular regard. He handled the pressures of being first officer, and being science officer, and being objective, and learning new things, and coping with new information the way a scientist should. And yes, I would give the same exact praise to Lieutenant Commander Data but Data's a machine Spock had to do all of this with human emotion punching him in the back of the fucking head the entire time well and Data's quest to be human was was a detriment quite often often even in the movies when they finally gave him that fucking emotion chip before they gave him the ability to switch it off it fucking crippled him in generations Uh literally crippled him he couldn't do anything so, yeah, okay. So I'm going to go with, uh, with Spock. Now we got two positions left that we're going to talk about, which is good because I know we're running long here. That's fine. I don't care. It's my podcast. I'll talk as long as I goddamn want. You guys can always shut it off if you want. I don't recommend it because we're awesome. <laughs> Powering down. <laughs> yeah. um, first officer. Now this is going to be difficult. We got Spock. We got Riker. Kieran Reese. Chakotay. To Paul, 
And then we got Michael Burnham and Saru again. So I'm seeing a lot of crossover, but uh, Mr. Spock. We've discussed a lot of the reasons why he makes an admirable first officer, but I think one of the things that we leave off or left off with and we talked about earlier is his ability to put Kirk in check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which you need. Which, yeah. Being being the gung-ho kind of captain that Kirk is or was or whatever you want to call it for being in the future. That, that, that straight man next to you. Yeah. Kind of pull you back. <laughs> grab him by... I'm surprised he didn't grab him by the collar. Like, whoa, buddy, come back here. Rethink that. And I think between the triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you really had the makeup of Kirk's conscience, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Spock, in keeping Kirk's impetuousness in check, I would say gets a nod for that. Mm-hmm. An admirable quality in a first officer. Which brings us to Riker. Now, we're going to talk bearded Riker. We're not going to talk non-bearded Riker. Non-bearded Riker doesn't count. Bearded Riker only. Riker, I think, tried to embody a lot of the same thing Spock tried to do with keeping Kirk in check. But he wasn't able to do it. But he wasn't so much needed for that role. No, because Picard handled himself. And in fact, they talk about it in canon between Picard and Riker because... Picard always addresses the fact that he's going to do exactly what the fuck he wants to do. And Riker basically just has to sit back and let him do it. While trying to figure out how to keep his captain safe at the same time. Which I feel, I mean, admirable for a character. But I feel that kind of defeats the point of the first officer. If you're going to just let the captain go on all the away missions anyway. What say you? Bearded Riker. I mean, that is a fine beard. Yes. He set the standard for that. That Paul just couldn't live up to. Riker's good as a, as a first officer. You know, quality. People commanding. Officer. Yeah. But needs to keep it in his pants. Oh, <laughs> man. He needs to keep it in his he pants. He's like Kirk. Unleashed. Just, yeah. Just like, times ten. I'll give you that. Because, yeah, he got the crew into how much trouble all the times he pulled his pecker right. out. and. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Um, Okay, so then we move to uh, Kira Norris, which I love. Firecracker. Firecracker. (coughs) Roll Aaron. What's that? (coughs) Roll Aaron. Roll Aaron. They brought Roll Aaron into the the, uh, extended universe afterwards. They made her commander Deep Space Nine. But yeah, they brought Kira Norris on as the... Fire to Cisco's ice, if you will, and and just you've never seen a more contentious match, especially in that first half of the series. Mm-hmm. She is forever kicking down his door, and he is forever putting her in check. But I think it worked because Cisco needed that hot headedness, that impetuousness. It's, it's flipping the tables on like Spock and Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, he's had to keep the best interests of her in check the same way Spock did with Kirk. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's, abs- that's a good analysis. Um, so, But I think uh, her previous history with the uh, Bajoran Resistance gave her a lot of, well, PTSD, but um, <laughs> people coping skills. Whether she wanted to admit it or not, she made a good ambassador because... She was trying her best to do what's best for the Bajoran people 
whether or not it suited her. Now, she didn't always succeed. She failed spectacularly in a lot of ways. But she, she, she made a good counterpoint to Cisco's usual cool, if that makes sense. And then we got... Uh, what's that? I said totally. Okay. And then we got Chakote, which I feel... I don't know. I got an idea about how I feel, but what do you guys think? I don't have a whole lot to say about Chakotay. The biggest... I, no, go ahead. No, I don't know that I... Just at first, the whole, you know, he was being part of the Maquis thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd be able to trust him. Right. And, and I think that that's one of the things that they fell into rather quickly and easily is this trust. Uh, and I think it would have taken a lot longer. I agree. Um, because one minute he's a wanted felon, the next minute they're working together. I understand having to work together. And I understand having to do Necessity. some kind of tokenism to tie the crews together. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, first officer's a big get. It's so hard to pin down as where... Loyalties. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in those earlier seasons. You see a lot of the us versus them. And he's not exactly doing his best to quell that. Like in the episodes where he's trying to get uh, Bellana Taurus... He's the fire sometimes. Yeah. In those episodes where he tried to get Taurus promoted... How he had to go behind Janeway's back was a breach in trust. I mean, it got the desired result for him, for Taurus. Was Taurus maybe necessarily the best choice for that role at that time? Who fucking knows? We don't know because they didn't give uh, Ensign Car- or Lieutenant Carey his chance. Because, again, it almost felt like tokenism at that point. We've got to give certain key positions to Maquis... Or they're not going to trust us. They're not going to work with us. So, I don't know. That's a hard one. Chakotay's difficult. I liked him. Robert Beltran did a good job with the character. But it's hard. The Maquis situation is hard. Um, then we move on to T'Pol. We've said a lot about T'Pol. Anything you want to add to about her as first officer? Not really. She had the same kind of conflicts in dealing with uh, her interests as a Vulcan and working for the Vulcan High Command and also trying to split her interests with uh, Starfleet as well. Because so, they straight up wanted to pull her at one point and That's when she had to pull rank. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but her loyalties were very much divided before she became entrenched and enmeshed with the crew. With Trip. Um, but... <laughs> um, enmeshed. Enmeshed. That's what we'll call it. Did you say they melded? Uh, in more ways than one. Um, but yeah, so T'Pol, again, comes into that gray territory of she's such a two-sided character at first. How do we trust, you know? Well, and somehow she had more emotion than Spock did. She did. She which, was very powerfully emotional. Which is strange. Weird of a Vulcan. Because she's solid Vulcan. Right. Um... And I think they tried to explain that away as part of the syndrome that she had, but that's just trek-splaining something away, you know what I mean? It totally is trek-splaining. Trek-splaining is a thing. Hashtag trek-splaining, we're going to bring that in. Um, All right, so I think, Carrie, uh, who do you pick? Who's your choice? First officer. Mm, As much as I love Riker, i got to go with Kieran Reese. 
the fireball, the fire plug. You need that. Just I think the, passion, Cis- the sheer the passion. Passion. That is such a good way to say that. Thank you. I think Cisco needed that. He was so dispassionate. Well, he was so out of touch, just was, completely out of PTSD. touch with everything. Yeah, he didn't care. That was his whole character arc in the first like two episodes. They put me on this trash can in space and fuck this. I'm gonna retire. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he needed her. He make he lost, lost his crew at the three five nine. So he's just kind of just numb. Yeah. Here I am trying to take care of my kid. They're going to stick me on the asshole end of space mm-hmm. uh, with people that don't want me here. I don't want to be here. She really built him up. Yeah, I agree. More so than I'd say any of the other first officers, except for maybe Spock. Right. What about you, Lee? I'm, I'm going Spock because you, you need the, the reins on Kirk. Otherwise, <laughs> he is doing shit. <laughs> you do not want that. Doing shit happen. to people. Okay, so Carrie... You picked Nerys. Lee, you picked Spock? I go Spock. Where are you going, man? This is difficult. Um, and, and for the same things that we're talking about, Spock, of course, had to keep Kirk in check and did a very, very good job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the loyalty aspect was never, never, never in doubt until the J.J. Abrams movies, but they fixed that. Uh, they tried to explain that away. Um, fuck, that's hard. I'm going to give it to Spock, but very narrowly. Very narrowly. Wow. Kieran Arise is such a strong candidate for that, but just just narrowly. Because, again, dispassionate, keeping fucking Kirk out of trouble. I mean, he, someone had to do it. To build up the whole crew, though, not just... Yeah. Fuck. It's so hard. Is that your final answer? No, it's not. It's complicated. Because Kieran really did build up that entire crew. Kieran Arise. Quit making me change my mind. Sad. Okay, so of course that brings us to our last uh, position on the ship. Or, but uh, Captain. Okay, so we're going to go with Captain. Now the, the, the typical argument that you hear, Kirk Picard. Kirk Picard. You never really hear about the other captains. It's always just, who's better, Kirk or Picard? Kirk or Picard? And it's so much deeper than that. To an original series, we have uh, James T. Kirk. Hot-headed, impetuous, sleazy. Sleeps with anything with a pulse. I know a couple people like that. Um, We got Jean-Luc Picard. Stoic. uh, Very stiff upper lip British. Not afraid to get his hands dirty. I like that about a captain. Benjamin Sisko, former boxer, former uh, tactical officer, very level-headed, um, very goal-driven, very goal-oriented. Uh, we got Janeway, scientific, curious, uh, passionate. Calculating. Calculating. Um, you've got Jonathan Archer. New. Tough as nails. Tough as nails, but very, very new. Uh, the first of his kind, really. Very big balls. You had to. You had to. You got... And then Discovery, again, we can't really discuss Discovery, because you got several candidates for Discovery. Philippa Giorgio. You got uh, uh, Lorca. Oh, Giorgio. Oh, Giorgio. 
And then you got uh, Christopher Pike, which we can discuss because Christopher Pike is a retread character from the original The Cage pilot for the original series. They wrote him off the series after that. They didn't like Jeffrey Hunter's captain. So they retooled the entire thing and reworked him in down the road. But they have him now played by Anson Mount. Uh, and he does a fantastic job. He's a great captain who lives by his strict moral code. His captaincy is, is very much dictated by faith. Faith in his crew, faith in his um, chosen religion, faith in the process. And, and it's very strongly played by Anson Mount. I can't recommend him highly enough. But Go So for the, for the ones that we've got available to us, Let's talk James T. Kirk. Again, too hot-headed, too quick to mate. (laughs) (laughs) But he gets shit done. He does get shit done. He cheated at the Kobayashi Maru. They should have kicked him out of Starfleet for that. I think they wanted to. (laughs) They should have. But he came up with such a ballsy workaround that they're like, okay, fuck. We're going to have to deal with this asshole now. But he is so quick to action. He is quick to action. It's kicked him in the ass a few times. But it's also saved their ass a few mm-hmm. times. It's a, it's a, uh, yeah, that's tough. a tough one. Really he's a tough nut. Jean-Luc Picard. Solid. Stable. Solid. Stable. Very. Badass. British. British. <laughs> Earl Grey. Hot. hot. He is Earl Grey hot. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. Have you seen his wife? Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't look her up. And just on a personal note, I love fucking Patrick Stewart with a passion. His zeal for life, his friendship with Ian McKellen, all of that shit is just so, just heartwarming. Mm-hmm. He grabs you by the cockles, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, not what I mean. Um, okay, uh, Benjamin Sisko. Again, solid. Right. Bald. Bald. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, he his head. That's when the show really picked up, and I can't even argue because that was right around season three when the show mm-hmm. really kicked into high gear. Is he... Once he found his footing, though, I think that he was—he had more compassion for the people on on his vessel, vessel, I guess. Vessel slash station. Station than any other character or captain. And I think he had a lot more to overcome too, just strictly because here he is just. A single father trying to do the best he can coping with PTSD. Again, a sign of the asshole of space. And then all of a sudden, he's a religious icon. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere. For a religion he doesn't believe in. You're Jesus now. You, you're, like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Keanu Reeves, you're fucking Jesus now. Cope with that. Which, you know, I, I'd buy that. I'd buy oh. that in a heartbeat. And the secondhand racism, racism that he just washes on a daily. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, they definitely broke new ground with the character as well. So, um, he punched out Q. Like, <laughs> he punched out Q. Who hasn't wanted to slug John Delancey right in the face? Uh, I met the guy. He made me laugh during one of our photo sessions. I had to get the picture retaken. <laughs> Fucking Q. Um, Catherine Janeway. There's the right way, the wrong way, and the Janeway. <laughs> Okay. I mean, you say that as a throwaway line, but that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Her that's love why I said it. of science has gotten in the way. A lot. A lot. A lot. But you cannot question her love of her people. 
her solid commitment to getting those people home at oftentimes the detriment of herself, her physical self. She got herself fucking assimilated, for God's sakes, you know? No, I agree. Her curiosity has a tendency to weigh down and and detract from the mission at large, but that's a scientist. I mean, Mm -hmm. but does a scientist make a good captain is the question. I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. And then we got uh, Jonathan Archer. Again. First of his class, basically. Ballsy. Ballsy. Yeah. Um, Definitely a lot of make the best of a bad situation. Definitely a lot of forging new ground, new territory. And technically the only one that still exists because of the Kelvin timeline. (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? Technically, the only one still in canon. I guess that's a something to note. Yep. So all <laughs> this whole discussion just entered moot because the Kelvin timeline. God damn it! There you go. Why'd you have to bring that up? It's decided. <laughs> Enterprise's crew for the entire thing because everyone else got wiped out of existence. Um. So, I would say for me, I'm going to go first this time. I'm going to go Ben Cisco. I've always gone Ben Cisco. He's got the passion. He's got the drive. He's got the ability to overcome a lot of shit. And he did. And he did it without sleeping with every alien that walked across his path. He did it without cheating, really. He handled... He got promoted out of command and worked his way back to command because, nah, fuck that. These are my people, you know? So... I gotta give it to Ben Sisko. What say thee? I gotta go with Picard. Defend your answer. No matter what situation, he he was always cool. Like he never wavered once. First and contact. <laughs> just have to bring that up. It's like, damn it! The line is here and no further. It's like holy shit! Like you could see the spit coming out of his mouth. Then, he was so pissed I off. I mean, going back to the first officer thing. William Riker was offered. Several positions. Mm-hmm. Different ships. Right. And he chose to stay with Picard. Because he wanted to learn from the best. I got you. No, that makes perfect sense. That's good reasoning. Let's say you, Libe. I gotta go Picard. He's the best overall captain. The stoicism wins out. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, not for nothing, but that makes sense. I'm not gonna change my answer. No, but it's a solid answer. Cisco's second for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Cisco and Picard are kind of right neck and neck for me. And it's I a feel, hard one for me because Cisco is a, such a stellar character. Now, before we get into talking about starships, I, I want to thank you guys for sticking around this long. I know this is long, and I have no idea what this is going to edit down to, but uh, I just want to throw Chris's list out there just for funsies. Okay, go for it. Um, for captain, he picks uh, Benjamin Sisko. So he sides with me. We're not going to get his reasonings, obviously. But uh, for first officer, he picked Chakotay, which I would not have. I can see uh, it from him, though. Yeah, he's very... Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> Hikaru Sulu is helmsman and second officer. All right. Now, here's a choice I wouldn't have thought, gone with. Reginald Barkley is chief engineering officer. There's my wild card, but I don't know about... As a chief? 
He's not very good under pressure. No, he cracks easy. I don't know, Chris. You're a little bit suspect on that one, my friend. I was with you up till there. Um, communications. Mares from the animated Trek series. I forgot all about her, honestly. The uh, the cat-like creature. She served a series. She served an entire season. I get it. I'll give you credit. I'm going to give Chris credit just for going outside the box on that one. I'll give that to I'll give that to him for his wild card. There you go. Tactical Wharf. Mm-hmm. Solid choice. Uh, science officer, he went with you. Seven of nine. So I guess a lot more people think of Seven of Nine as a science officer than I did. All right. That's fair play. Chief medical officer, he picks the doctor. Uh, Odo for security. And then he picked quartermaster. We didn't go with a quartermaster because not, uh, not a lot of ships with uh, uh, replicator technology need a quartermaster. You can always just replicate, hey, I need a new uniform. Give me a new uniform. He picked Nog. Who better to be a go-getter of things than a Ferengi? That's a solid choice. Now, there's your wild card. There's your fucking wild card. I'll give you that, Chris. God damn. See, I wouldn't have thought about Nog as a quartermaster. Son of a bitch. Okay. God damn it. I didn't even think that. See? That's why I read the list on the air here. Them stem bolts ain't going to steal themselves. Right? Fuck self-sealing stem bolts. Nobody Nobody knows what the fuck they do. Uh, not even the people who wrote the show. Um, all right, so now the last bit of things I want to talk about real quick, and then we're going to wrap it up, is uh, Trek Vessel. We'll say Vessel because technically you can count Tarek nor as it has engines. It moves of its own accord. Technically, you can count it as a vessel. So we're going to say Vessel, not Ship. But which would you pick... Overall, to put your dream crew on. One word. I know. Cloaking. That's true. Cloaking device is such a huge technology, and only one ship in the fleet had it. The USS Defiant. Well, the Pegasus had it. Phase cloak. That doesn't count. It totally counts. You can get the technology to work, that would be the ship to go with. If. But yeah, Defiant. Yeah. It's not even a question. Well, Enterprise is such an ubiquitous ship, and we still don't even pick it. Because, I mean, Voyager had the ablative armor. Voyager had the transphasic shields, the quantum torpedoes. Enterprise E had amazing technology. Um, Enterprise is both, all three, whatever ones you want to pick, had great technology. But the, the Coke. Defiant was a scrappy little fighter mm-hmm. made specifically for battling the Borg. They had the cloaking device. The they had advanced. holographic communication systems before any other ship had holographic communication systems. I mean, it's a small ship. It's not a long-term vessel. It's certainly not a ship you're going to see families on. It's a war ship. It's not like the Enterprise-D, which was the love boat in space. I mean, we're definitely see, not going to get that out of it. That's why Cisco can't be the captain. Why is that? No children. <laughs> Picard didn't have children either. I know. That's... Neither did Kirk. No. Well, Kirk had well, kids. Yeah, yeah. Cisco <laughs> just had a kid. Him. That's tr- well, Cisco did have a kid. That's true. But he, he still captained with great aplomb. Now, I'll give you to the fact that he wasn't even in command of the Defiant 95% of the time. That was... 
wharf. Mm-hmm. So, say what you will, but uh, juggernaut that he is, <laughs> right? I'm surprised he fit in that chair. They had to widen that ship for <laughs> so him. Re- so, we gonna recap. Yes. Yeah, so to recap, four engineer. Lee went with uh, Montgomery Scott, while Carrie and I both chose Miles O'Brien. So O'Brien is the engineer. O'Brien's our engineer. Uh, Chief Medical Officer, two votes for Crusher. My vote for the doctor is outweighed. So, uh, Commander Dr. Beverly Crusher as our doctor. Communications, Universal, Hoshi Sato. Um, security. Two votes for Odo, one vote for Worf. So, unfortunately, Odo is our chief security officer, not Worf. Um, he's his ship and he doesn't even get to fly her. Um, science officer, two votes for Dax, uh, one vote for Spock. So, my vote is outweighed. Uh, Jadzia Dax is our science officer. Um, first officer, Major Kieran Reese edges out a win very, very... Very barely. Like, I got talked out on my shit right there. And then, for Captain, Picard takes the victory. I would that. I'd watch that, too. And for everyone wondering, uh, by the time this episode airs, I will have on our Instagram, uh, at, Fuel My Fa- or at Fuel Your Fandom, I will put up the Dreamcast, and uh, I'll have a nice little graphic made up for it and everything. But, uh, really, I just, I want to thank both of you guys for for jumping in here today and doing this i know it's a scheduling nightmare to get the both of you in the same fucking room at the same time so any last thoughts mr lee live long and prosper <laughs> carrie any last thoughts i got nothing that seems to be your first middle and last thoughts yeah well i want to thank you guys for for joining me uh for another episode of the feel your fandom podcast this is one i've been wanting to do for a very long time and then uh chris i want to thank you over in uh, Detroit land for for jumping in whether you knew it or not um, I want to thank you guys for sticking around and uh, come back next week we'll have another interesting topic another uh, fun little bit of fandom but until then I want everybody to uh, just remember that uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything take it easy